Open up the Bible to 1 John. There are actually three letters that John writes, 1 John 1, 1 John 2, 1 John 3. We're going to spend a few weeks in 1 John 1, and then we're moving on to Revelation, just so you know where we're going in this. I mean, we might as well go all the way to the end to start, you know. Okay, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, just four verses. So this is pretty simple for us to understand. If I have to put a title on this, I would call this Packing for the Journey. Packing for a Journey. Uh, The author of this is the same person, John, who writes the Gospel of John. The same person that we think writes the book of Revelation. The same person writes 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And that means that this John has written almost as much as the Apostle Paul is responsible for. This is a main contributor to our New Testament. This is who that John is. John is one of the disciples. As a matter of fact, he's one of the inner circle disciples. He's one of the three. You always hear them mentioned together, Peter, James, and John. They're the three that are on the Mount of Transfiguration. They're the three that are there when a girl is raised from the dead. They were very, very close. As a matter of fact, I think it's fair to say that John was the closest disciple to the Lord Jesus Christ for the three years that he walked on earth. That's who writes what we're going to read. This is that John. Now, to get us thinking about this, I want you to imagine yourself taking a journey. And if you're going to go and pack to take a journey, then there are probably some things that you're going to know I need to take. Now, this is going to depend on where you're going to go. This is going to depend on what you're going to do when you get there. But there are some things that you know I have to plan ahead to take these things. No matter where you're going to go, what kind of a journey you're going to have. Most of you know that my wife and I, back in April, took a little journey back to Budapest, Hungary, where we had been 20 years ago and started a little church in Budapest for international uh, speakers, English speakers. And it was the 20th anniversary, and so I got invited back uh, to speak at this church. It was a, a really big honor to be there. And so we went back to Budapest back in the middle of April. And while we were there, we knew we were going to do this, we decided that we were also going to go to a place called Croatia. Now, you may not know where Croatia is, but we're going to plan this journey to go to Croatia. Croatia is a country that used to be part of Yugoslavia. When Yugoslavia broke apart in the 1980s, it became a number of different independent countries. Some just below Hungary is Croatia and Serbia and, of course, right up against Italy. So this is Croatia. May not have heard of it before, but we were going to go to Croatia. We had a reason that we were going to go to Croatia because we have some friends there who have been ministering in Croatia. We'll tell you about them in just a minute. We were going to go to a particular town in Croatia. We put the next slide up, and that is the town of Osijek. Probably nobody's ever been to Osijek. That's a pretty neat place to go. It's a relatively large city, and we stayed overnight in Osiak, but our target destination for our journey was a little town to the north called Darda. Darda is just a village, and outside of the city of Darda is a population of Roma people, Baish gypsies. They, along with about 100,000 others, are part of the Roma population that have for years been neglected and rejected who live along the Hungarian-Serbian-Croatian border. About 100,000 of them. And in the last few years, 
they have started coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And we were excited to pack for this trip and to go there. Well, you have to prepare to go on a trip like this. So we pretty well knew what we had to take. We needed a credit card and an ATM machine. Because Croatia has kuna instead of dollars, and we didn't have any. So you got to have this to get the money to survive there. Everybody knows that. But in addition to that, we have to get somebody to drive us there. And so we found a man that was going to drive us there, and he had a car that we could go in. But the most important thing that we had to take was someone who could speak to these people. And they speak Serbo-Croatian and their own Roma dialect, which is a Baish gypsy dialect. Well, I want you to meet some people that can do all of that. These are friends of ours that we met some 20 years ago in Budapest, Hungary. They were fleeing out of Serbia when we, good along with NATO, started bombing all of Serbia for the sins of Milosevic. And these people fled for fear of their life into Hungary. They were refugees. We found them in a refugee camp. We became very close to them. As a matter of fact, as far as we're concerned, they're our children. The gal is Juliana. Juliana is an ethnic Hungarian, but she was living in Serbia. She grew up in Serbia. And the young man is from Madagascar, Africa. Now, you need to know that these are kind of unusual people. Juliana speaks Serbo-Croatian, obviously. She speaks English, reads and writes it as well. And she's fluent, of course, in Hungarian, which is her own ethnic original language. And then you have this guy named Jeannot. And Jeannot, well, let's see, both of them now are Hungarian citizens, so he speaks, reads, and writes Hungarian. He speaks, reads, and writes Serbo-Croatian because he was living there and met his wife there. He speaks, reads, and writes Romanian because he went to college there. He speaks, reads, and writes Malagasy because he grew up in Madagascar. He speaks, reads, and writes French because for a while his parents took him to France where he lived. And now, of course, he's trying to learn the Baish language. I mean, some people are just annoying, aren't they? <laughs> but we knew what we needed to take on this journey. We were going there to meet with a little church, a little church that has started some years back, and I got the privilege to share some thoughts to this little group of people whose picture you saw. I share all that with you, because what John is going to write about in this book called First John is our journey. Only it's not a journey to Croatia. It's not a journey to the Dominican Republic. It's a journey of life. It goes from birth to death. And John wants us to understand that there are some absolute essentials that we need in order to prepare for this journey. And we're going to start with the idea that, well, what do we think we might need to prepare for this journey? Well, some people might say, well, you just need food and shelter. If you have that, you have enough. 
We might extend this, but we really need to be loved, and we need to express love. Maybe we think that we need for the journey some sense of success, some sense that people are going to recognize us. What, what is it that we need for this journey? What is essential to us? Maybe some skills. Maybe it involves education. Maybe some training. What do we need? Because John says it's none of this. It's none of these things. There is one absolute essential. So we're going to start with what John has to say is the absolute essential for the journey of life. This is going to be pretty important, isn't it? All right. We're going to start in verse 4, because I always like to start at the back of it and then go work forward. This is what verse 4 says. This is his purpose in writing what he wrote. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be made complete. Two little words. Joy and complete. This first word, joy. John says, I'm writing to this so that you have joy. I don't know, you want to call that happy? You want to call that satisfaction, contentment, peace? I don't care. Bill Mounts, who's a friend of mine who has written an expository dictionary of New Testament words, says that this is the kind of a thing that transcends all circumstances. So imagine this. John said, I'm writing this little letter to you because this is going to give you a joy that transcends all of your circumstances. As a matter of fact, this is going to be a joy that is complete. And this is the meaning of that word. It is filling something up to the overflowing. Well, that's pretty good stuff. Imagine somebody comes along and says, I'm going to tell you what you can have in your life that will give you absolute, total, and complete, overflowing joy in life. Now, there's a reason why he wants to share this with us. Because John knows that in life, there are bumps along the way. And we need what it is that John wants to share with us. That's pretty good. So you're ready for the journey? It's it's simple. Just one, two, three, we're going to have it. Well, not quite. All right, here's the necessities for the journey. Chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have, new word, fellowship with us. And indeed, our new word, fellowship, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the first word of many in a new vocabulary that we are going to learn in this letter of 1 John. First word, fellowship. Now, you all know this word, fellowship, and it's unfortunate that we all know this word because we have a misconception of it. This is the word koinonia, fellowship. Now, the problem with this is so common to us, we don't think about this very often. This is the essential for the journey of life, fellowship. And we got things like fellowship church. We got things like fellowship dinners. We got things like come to my house and we'll fellowship together. We have Bible studies where we fellowship. That's not what fellowship is about. That's not what John is talking about. So we need to get a little bit of a definition as to what John means about this word fellowship. Koinonia, 
All right? And I thought the easiest way to do this is to decide what it is not. So let's take a quick look at what fellowship is not about. I got a whole long list. There's probably more. Fellowship is not about joining something. It's not about membership. Now, there's lots of membership ideas among church people. As a matter of fact, we take classes and we, we join churches. That's not fellowship, not in John's understanding of this word. Fellowship is not about scholarship. This is not about how smart you get. This is not about how many books you read, how many classes you take, whether you go to seminary or you don't go to seminary. This has nothing to do with intellectualism. Fellowship that John talks about is not about stewardship. This is not about giving something, not your time or your money. Fellowship is not about that. This is not about showmanship. This is not about how talented you are, whether you are gifted playing a musical instrument or singing or writing poetry or painting pictures or teaching something. Fellowship is none of that. Now, all of those things have part and parcel of what we call church, but none of them have anything to do with fellowship. You with me? John says fellowship has to do with a thing called the word of life. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Concerning the word of life, which was from the beginning... Now, there is no question what John has in mind here. Now, you may not want to believe this, but there's no question about what he has in mind. Let me just think with you through this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, you know how it begins. In the beginning, God. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word of life is Jesus. We've been singing about it all morning. This fellowship has to do with Jesus. It begins with Jesus and what Jesus has done. Now, John's giving us some more details about this fellowship. Verse 1 continues. Let me read them with you. This is what he says. Which we have heard. Please note, John says, we heard this fellowship. Now, he was present when Jesus taught. He heard Jesus pray. He heard the conversations that Jesus had. Those things that we heard, he said, they're part of fellowship. The things which we have seen with our eyes. Notice, we have seen them. We've seen with our eyes. What did they see with their eyes? Well, the disciples saw Jesus do miracles. He saw the dead raised. He saw Jesus walk on water. He experienced all of that. He adds, which we looked upon, and you could translate that word, which we considered and contemplated carefully. Can you imagine the disciples sitting around in the evening after the day with Jesus? 
Yeah, they got to talk. You know, you, can you believe what we saw today? Can you believe what we heard today? What do you think about this? You know, this is mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? Let's watch TV. I don't think so. We got plenty to talk about here. Imagine this experience that they had together. And then he says, which we have touched with our hands. Jesus knew, or John knew that Jesus was not some kind of a ghost, not some kind of an imaginary person. This was reality to them. Now, how are we supposed to understand what this is? This is a spiritual, personal, intimate relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and with the Spirit of God. This is a oneness. That's what fellowship is. It is this oneness with God through Jesus. Now, I want you to notice the word John uses, which is the word which. He does not write here who. He doesn't say this was all about me and Jesus. He said this is which we saw. Can you imagine this? John, along with the other disciples, experienced something they had never experienced before. They'd seen religious people, but they have never experienced this. They saw, they heard, they watched Jesus with his Father in heaven. They experienced what Jesus went through, and they began to have that same kind of intimacy with Jesus. And John writes and he said, listen, we can all have this same kind of intimacy with God through Jesus, and that will fill up to the overflowing your joy in any circumstance. That is fellowship. Got it? Now, there's obviously lots more to explain. But this is the number one essential. This is from the person who was there. This is from the person who went through it all. And he says, what we need, the one thing we need, is fellowship. This intimacy with God. Now, let's just... Take a moment, and we'll deviate from this a little bit, since we already heard about the Dominican Republic. Most of you know my wife and I pastored a church in Haiti for several years, and so periodically I get phone calls like I got just the other week. Hey, my daughter's going to Haiti, so do you have something to tell her so she you know, gets it right when she goes to Haiti? Well, listen, if you want to know what's necessary to go to Haiti, I got a whole long list of things. I lived there long enough to learn that these are all important. For instance, don't put anything down on the ground and turn your back on it because it won't be there anymore. (laughs) Okay? But that's not the most important thing. For instance, there are going to be people who rap on the window of your car when you come to the street. Or you might not even stop and they'll be rapping on the windshield of the car. Well, there are going to be people who come to your door and say, I, I, I don't have any food. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. And you have to understand you can't help them all. And that, that's really important to know because you're going to go out of your mind if you think you can help them all. You can't help them all. Okay? But regardless of all those things, there is one thing. There is one thing that is absolutely necessary. Do not drink any water that isn't in a bottle. (laughs) Did you all get that? 
Don't do that. And especially, beware of ice cubes. Wonderful, sweet, well-meaning people will give you a cold drink with ice cubes. And you don't know whether the ice cubes were made with bottled water or some other water. And freezing doesn't do it. So if there's one thing you want to know, don't drink anything that doesn't come out of a sealed, closed bottle. Now, if I told somebody that, you would think that after going through that, they would go there saying, hey, here's one thing we got to really be careful of. Because that's what John is telling us. John is telling us on this road from birth to death, there is one thing that's going to give you joy overflowing in your life. It is fellowship. It is that which we had with the Father and with the Son. It's that which we experienced. And John said, I want you to have this intimacy and this closeness and this oneness with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, this little letter is approximately, I didn't count them, the computer did, 2,800 words long. That's all. The average book is 40,000 words. You mean to tell me that John can tell us in 2,800 words the most important thing on our journey in life? Well, that is exactly what John claims to do. My question is, why would God do this for us? Why would God offer to us this amazing way to live in intimacy with him? I got a uh, grandson who just graduated from high school, and he went through a rather unusual experience just a few weeks, months before he graduated. One of his closest friends youngest sister took her life. She did not come from a bad home. There was no reason that anybody could see why she would do this. And this really weighed on my grandson, obviously, but it really weighs on me too. Because I keep reading about people who take their own life. You, You know, there's no animal other than the human animal that takes its own life. Not deliberately. What are we missing? What is it that we don't understand? How can we go through life when what is promised is joy overflowing and we miss it? What is it that God wants us to know? Now the solution to this is either there is no God And this is a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. Or the idea that I'm not good enough for God, which is where a lot of people seem to be today. I want to share something else with you, though, that's on John's heart. In order to do that, I want you to meet my only great-great-granddaughter. Her name is Scarlett. Isn't she adorable? A few weeks ago, great-grandmother Barbara was 
hugging and kissing on Scarlet. I mean, you can't hardly help not to hug and kiss on Scarlet. You got a little curl, a little smiley face. And Barbara said to Scarlet, Do you know why I want to hug and kiss you? And Scarlet looked up and said, Yes, because I'm cute. No, said great-grandma. It's not because you're cute. What's the answer? It's because I love you. God, you have made arrangements for us to go through this life with joy overflowing? Why? That's what John wants to talk about. 1 John chapter 4, we'll we'll get to it later in chapter 4, verse 16. This is what he says. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. If that doesn't light your fire, I don't know what does. Do we understand this this morning? That there is an eternal creator God who has arranged for us to have joy overflowing because he loves us. That's an absolute truth. You can take it to the bank. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there's not one of us in this room who are worthy, who are worthy to go through life in total communion and participation and intimacy with the Creator God. You've sent Jesus, the Word, to make that possible. And you've done this whole thing because of your great love for us. We are in awe. We thank you, Father. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace through Jesus. Thank you for his propitiation and payment for our sin and misgivings. Thank you, Father, that we indeed have an opportunity before us to live this life not only for ourselves and for you, but for the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.